Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. My name is Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in episode 98, reading the exciting conclusion of Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson. Woohoo! That is chapters 86 through the epilogue. And what are we going to cover next week? Well, next week we will be covering... Saga number two, and Ghost. it's a good one. It's a good one. Pick it up if you haven't. The following week, we will have our exciting episode 100 special extravaganza. Have we said exciting enough? I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm excited about the word. I'm excited about all the words, the light emanating from them. So episode 100 will cover our favorite theories on the king killer chronicles by patrick rothfuss and that will feature guest podcaster daryl mansell seed from the paprika podcast you will not want to miss that one filmed in front of a live 700 person audience (laughs) so for those listeners who are reading along with us and want to know which book to buy next after our 100th episode we will be covering edge dancer by Brandon Sanderson, and then heading into book three of the Stormlight Archives, Oathbringer. After which, we will never read Brandon Sanderson again. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, we will never read books again. <laughs> no, it's not books I'm done with. <laughs> never say never. It's not an indictment of Brandon Sanderson. It will have encompassed like a year and a half of our life, however. <laughs> I'll be ready to move on to something different. So, speaking of which, chapter 86. All right, let's get into it. First off, I always have to ask you, what did you think of this section? What did you think of the end of the book? I thought it was good. I thought it was good. They're not perfect. There are certainly some things I'm like, what? But overall, I enjoyed it. There were two significant things that happened that I was like, damn. Mm -hmm. I was pretty excited about. So... So all in all, I would say it was a good ending. Maybe I can explain those things to you that you didn't like. Maybe. Or maybe you just let me not like them. I mean, I could do that. (laughs) I guess. Or we could fight about it. We could fight about it. I mean, that's cool. Well, let me just read the chapter summary first. Let's do that. Put a pin in that. All right. We'll come back to that fight. Put it on the calendar. (laughs) Chapter 86 is called Patterns of Light. Epic fight time. Kaladin battles Seth and defeats him. Shallan uses pattern to open the portal. Now, this is a long chapter and a lot happens, but basically, that's that's what happens. Kaladin holds Dalinar like a baby, gently placing him on the ground. Sharing his bodyguard moment. <laughs> it was such He's a bodyguard like, moment. My eyes are turning blue. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so one 
thing that I find really funny in this part, and it's a totally throwaway line, but in the very first paragraph, Kaladin is talking about how surprised he was when he's speeding toward the Shattered Plains, and this glowing light comes at him, and it's Dalinar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. pictured him, like, flying, and then Dalinar just being like, "Wee!" Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he wasn't saying that. <laughs> he might have been. Yeah. <laughs> he was probably going, oh. Yeah. Drats. But he saves him. He puts him down, has his bodyguard moment. And Dalinar says to him, you are the one I've been looking for. And Kaladin's like, yes, yeah. Finally, he says, finally. yes, finally. And Dalinar's all like, bitch. Why you gotta, why you gotta play me Where like that? Where you been? He's, he's, you ain't gotta gaslight me like that. Right? You is and you ain't, what is it? So then we have this, this sort of epic back and forth battle between Kaladin and Seth. And that's most of the chapter. How did, how did that come off for you? Eh, you know, it's fine. So, so Kaladin is motivated by looking down and seeing two of his bridgemen are dead. Two bridgemen we've never heard of. I mean, you gotta have some red shirts. Like, come on. My contention with this book is that so far, anyone who isn't a red shirt comes back to life. Yes. But we'll talk about it. Have you read a fantasy novel lately? Here's the thing. You're just, you're spoiled by Game of Thrones. There's a reason that Game of Thrones is and was so, so different, so shocking because they, of, of the way they kill off and have bad things happen to main characters. Well, I think, you know, like when I compare it also to like King Killer, King Killer doesn't have a lot of, death but it also doesn't have just a lot of like trying to motivate you that the stakes are real by killing off randoms i think that's one of the things that gets frustrating but that's okay i just thought it was interesting that you know anytime he you know anytime we're seeing somebody die it's never anybody kind of in the core it's never anybody anybody in the scooby gang Okay, but don't you think it's pretty well established that Kaladin is motivated by protecting Bridge 4? Absolutely, yeah. And he doesn't go into a spiral at this point. He just kind of... No. No, he doesn't. You're in a mood, I can tell. I'm allowed to make observations. (laughs) So the fight was, I mean, it was a typical Brandon Sanderson fight. He writes that stuff well. I don't think it was ever any real question kind of who was going to come out on top in that regard. I did think it was cool the way it ended, and I kind of tend to read those things in a, yeah, blah, okay, okay, blah, 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 right. blah. Oh, okay, here's, you know, here's how it ends. So it's cool how it ends with him cutting off his hand, and then he drops the sword, obviously. But because it's an honor blade and not a shard blade, when he cuts it, the bond is somehow broken. Actually, um, what happened there was Seth severed the bond himself. Oh. He let go of the bond to kill himself. Ah, okay. I did not know that. Okay. So either way, and then he plummets to his death. Plummets to his death. 
So we get to watch Syl kind of we get we get to see what a shard blade actually is supposed to be able to do. And it's pretty cool to watch um, Syl be able to turn into a shield, a spear, a hammer. She could probably be a toothpick if you needed yeah. her to. Um, it's it's pretty neat to watch that in action in like a real fight. Well, and it doesn't take Kaladin long to sort of pick up that he doesn't have to think about it so right. much. He just has to kind of move on instinct and that the two of them will sort of work together for her to be what he needs in that moment. He uses his sleeping mind. He does. He uses he uses his sleeping mind and he dances through the sword tree. Exactly. Seth, though, quickly realizes that he's not going to be able to beat Kaladin, but that he doesn't really have to beat Kaladin in order to win. What he needs to do is get to Dalinar. And so this is a really cool scene where, you know, they're they're fighting up above the storm. They're in the in the clouds. Seth heads back down to the plateau to try and get to Dalinar. Kaladin's racing him. There's boulders crashing everywhere. I mean, you can just picture this. Yeah. These plateaus just being ripped apart. And in one lightning flash, he sees Seth heading down to where the, the army is all huddled mm-hmm. on this one plateau. And in the next lightning flash, the army's gone. They're gone. Yeah. And we know that this is right after. And we're going. We're following kind of character by character what happens. But this is right after Shallan has made the, the portal work. Yeah, so that was a pretty cool scene. And I have to say, I'm not generally a fan of writing where it head hops constantly, you know, throughout a chapter, it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But Brandis Sanderson does a good job of layering it in, in a way where it sort of builds tension and kind of helps paint the entire scene for you so you can kind of get the whole of the picture. Well, and he seems to wait till the end of the book to do that yeah leading and I think up that's to important. the climax yeah. it's one character at a time for the most part yeah and then when we get to the kind of the exciting conclusion that's when he jumps around more we also find out that sill doesn't actually need 10 heartbeats to appear like other shard blades we've seen yeah and she said that is primarily something of the dead because they have to be revived a little each time which is gross. Yeah, a little strange. And so, yeah, the whole 10 heartbeat things is because every time they let go of a shard blade, they're sort of like sending this this spren back to rest, and then they have to like revive it from dormancy every time they recall it. I'm not sure how I feel about the idea of the spren being actual swords. Like there's some sort of transformer between sword and spirit. Come on, that's awesome. I'm not sure how I feel that. So like they're the soul <laughs> of objects. Like they're the spirit, the soul of things. And weapons used to separate souls from human bodies. It's Transformers are cars and robots at the same time. I don't <laughs> see what the problem is here. <laughs> You're cantankerous tonight. <laughs> I am. It's late. Um, no, I think the spren that that bond with the radiance tend to be spren of higher concepts and ideals. Yeah, so I would agree with honor that. Honor yeah. spren, you know, cryptics are lie spren or have to do with truth and lies. It's not like rock spren or you don't have like, you know. 
chole spren or dung spren that are... What could they be if they... Dung dung spren. I don't know. Dung spren. Nobody go in there (laughs) till all the spren clear out. (laughs) At least 15 minutes. (laughs) Somebody open up a window. We got to let all the spren out of here. But what could those spren become if they had a chance? They can't become shard blades, but what could they become? Dung spren, they could become shard toilet paper. I mean, we're down the rabbit hole here, but sure, <laughs> why not? <laughs> you know, what could what could stick manifest, you know, the spren of the stick? Right. It could have been fire. It could have been fire. Could have been fire all along. Yeah, I mean, for me, this is one of the the revelations. And I think we don't really get the revelation until the next chapter. I thought it was revealed a little bit earlier, so I may have spoiled it for you. But I think the revelation that the Spren are the Shard Blades is one of the coolest things. And that you have these magic swords that we all totally just accepted as magic swords. And we could have gone through the whole rest of the series and not had any more explanation, and we would have all just gone with magic swords. But then to have this really unusual and like intricate backstory for the swords, and and I just think it's so cool how the the world building is layered in this series. I mean, was Spren all about getting to a cool way of designing a magic sword? Well, it's interesting because if you read other works in the Cosmere, without spoiling plot points, I will say that this is not a concept that has that is new to this series or to Roshar. Mm, okay. The idea of something being something in the cognitive realm and something else in the physical realm and being able to affect affect an object by affecting by doing something to it in the cognitive realm. This is uh, consistent with things that happen in the Cosmere, which makes it even cooler. I do think it's a cool reveal. Like, I don't, like, I, I'm glad that it ties things together and that there's an explanation for it because, to your point, I do think it's frustrating when there's magic sort of for the sake of it. And that's one thing you can't really accuse Brandon Sanderson of. Everything in its own, it has its own sort of internal logic and consistency and there's a reason for everything. And that I appreciate and that I respect. You know, I, I'm not not sold on it. It's not my favorite thing, the idea that the Spren, who to me have been developed and kind of brought up as being something sort of above that, are now kind of just being used as weapons. Like, I don't know, to me it sort of diminishes it. But it's good to hear that it's consistent with other books in the Cosmere. So, you know, it seems like there's some greater, greater, greater purpose to it that I may not yet be aware of. Well, and really, the spren that are part of a Nahel bond, I think, can form kind of anything mm-hmm. that the Radiant needs. So well, generally, the, the Radiants yeah, seem yeah. to need weapons, but, yeah. you know, like I said, I, I feel like if the Radiant needed a toothpick... I mean, what if they needed a bowl of popcorn, some M&M's? Is that what you need right now? Maybe. I might. <laughs> I don't know if Spren can do consumables, but... I'm just saying, I'd be a lot happier on this podcast. 
I feel like less recording would get done, though. It probably. <laughs> so that's fair. Okay. So we talk about Seth's character moment here because this is definitely the most important thing that has happened to him. He realizes that that he was not a truthless, that he was responsible for all of the murders that he committed, that he actually was right and the leaders of the Shin were wrong. And um, when he fully realizes that and stops denying it, he gives up his bond to the honor blade, which is allowing him to fly and plummets presumably to his death. So this is a, a character moment that's been building since well, and it, the prologue of the first book. Absolutely. And it goes back to, I guess it was in the last book, that story about the island out there where everyone's yes. blindly following orders and you know not really looking at it. And it, I think it, you know, Seth is a good example of something we see in our real world of the person who just follows orders and, you know, and, and excuses their behavior because of it. You know, it's a common thing that we wrestle with even today. So it's interesting uh, to have that sort of expressed in this this one character. I had this line as well that I wanted to bring up. Sill talking with Khaled, and she says, my father, talking about the storm father, has brought the storm, rushing its pace. He's broken, Kaladin. He doesn't think any of this should be happening. He wants to end it all, wash everyone away, and try to hide from the future. We get a little bit more about the Stormfather in this section in general, and it wasn't really clear to me, I think, until this point that the Stormfather was sort of actively trying to end the world Mm -hmm. and just kill everybody there at the end. Now, that's weird, Mm -hmm. and particularly because he doesn't really have the ability to kill everyone on the planet. They can hide from high storms. Well, that doesn't mean he can't try. I mean... No, he clearly... Plenty of people have tried to kill everyone on the planet. Well, I think he was trying by colliding with the Everstorm. Right. Was not by having a typical high storm, but trying trying to do that. And it did manage to collide with them. I mean, it got pretty gnarly there. It did get pretty gnarly. I mean, I guess maybe he was also trying to wipe out the Parshendi before they could... Do everything, but once the Everstorm is out, I think you know that cat's sort of out of the bag, and seems like the rest of the desolation and the Voidbringers is kind of happen as the Everstorm, you know, comes around. So it just seemed like a sort of futile thing for this Spren, this very intelligent Spren, to do. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I still don't fully understand the Stormfather. Well, I think we get a little more explanation in maybe chapter 88 or 89. We can kind of get into it. Yeah. Then. Elsewhere on the Shattered Plains, we have Shallan, Adolin, and Dalinar just trying to get out of the rain. Right. But Dalinar wishes he had that umbrella now. Yeah, right. So it was pretty cool, I I thought, watching Shallan discover how the Oathgate worked. Um, She realizes that the room is a fabrial, so she needs to infuse the spheres that are set around the outside of the room. Yeah. And she's already figured out that a shard blade is the key, but then she realizes that there's something wrong with shard blades, all of them except for hers. And so when she uses pattern as the key, the room starts to work. It's it's a neat moment. It is. And 
it shows kind of that, you know, it's interesting how it's sort of like this, you know, spinning disc inside of a room and you have to kind of spin the room to get it, point it towards where you want it to go. And then it just sort of disappears. It's very Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, good point. I would agree with that. We also have to talk about Sabariel organizing the retreat. How funny was that that part? Sabariel is my hero. (laughs) He's awesome. All these guys running around, boulders being thrown through the air, red lightning spread, and Sabariel's sitting under a canopy, eating fruit. And uh, his girl- Reading a book. (laughs) Yeah, she's just reading a book. Not just like- licking her finger, turning the page, making no eye contact with anybody. She's very chill. (laughs) Super chill. Oh, they remind me of us in college. Oh, yeah. Oh, very much so. The the other thing I noted is that, so Adolin and the Bridgman had to retreat. They were forced to, uh, they were able to get their injured, but they had to be forced to leave their dead. They did designate three dudes to carry Adolin's shard plate, one dude to carry his cock, and <clears throat> ten to carry his ego. <laughs> but they couldn't take their debt. I thought it was, I loved the part where he realizes that Shallan is a radiant, too. Yeah. And he's like, geez. Uh, you too. You yeah. too. But he's not, um, he's impressed by her. He's not... He's not threatened by it or no. anything like that. And in fact, he's he's not even threatened by Kaladin being a Radiant. No. He's like kind of vindicated that he knew there was something going on with that guy. He's the perfect boyfriend. Exactly. He's absolutely the perfect boyfriend. You have to watch out for those perfect boyfriends. They, they might have some dark-ass secrets. You are the perfect boyfriend. Maybe I have dark-ass secrets. <laughs> I mean, you did wind up having some dark-ass secrets. Let's see, right? I'm just saying that's not a deal-breaker. All right, good. <laughs> we, <laughs> we can all move forward. Oh, and we also have to say that, yay, because Gallant lived. The Rashadium? Mm-hmm. Well, again. I couldn't take two horsey deaths, okay? Not, not a red shirt. Thank you. And so we are going to go back and talk about the Snapters, but all at the end. I have some of those written down. But let's get into chapter 87, called The Riddens. Kaladin returns from his fight to find Dalinar and the army gone. He finds instead a few members of Bridge 4, who explain how the world just turned upside down. Back in the war camp, Moash mopes away with graves, and the king contends with the Lopin's mother as the Lopin gets a hand. Oh, the Lopin. The Lopin. The Lopin gets... This is one of my my favorite chapters. The Lopin gets a hand. He does. (laughs) He gets a nubbin. (laughs) No, that's that's one of my favorite parts. All of the stuff with the king and and the Lopin. And the Lopin's mother. And the Lopin's mother. (laughs) I mean, that's very good. That was very satisfying. It, It was strange that they could fit... Every motherfucker on that disc. Like. Well, I think a lot of them died. Well, that's true. Yeah. But that thing is like, that thing is like the size of a college campus. Yeah. I think a lot of them died. Yeah. Well, it's just giving you a sense of the scale. I mean, we always Mm -hmm. knew the Shattered Plains were insanely massive. Yeah. And it is the top of an entire plateau. Yeah. But a lot of times I didn't, 
I've always sort of pictured in my head the plateaus being a lot smaller than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge continent. Yeah. It is an enormous freaking continent. It would have to be. Yeah. I do think that's a tendency. That's what happens to fantasy worlds is that the continents just stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch. Mm-hmm. You know, like Westeros was supposed to be the size of England, but it turns out to be the size of South America, mm-hmm. you know. So when Caliban gets back, first off, a, a note, you know, he realizes that the storm, this new storm is blowing the wrong way. And all of the build that has never happened before. Yeah. All of the buildings, all of the shelters and the entire continent are built to keep out storms that are coming in one direction. Absolutely. So like what is going to happen? Well, and you're going to build your towns on the, the leeward side of, of ranges right. and hills. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, the people who, the scouts who ride out the storms do it by, sitting on a cliff and an open cliff face, but they Mm -hmm. do it pointing a different direction. Yeah. So yeah, that's going to fuck everybody. Yeah. That is a problem. So, and Syl explains a little bit to Kaladin, if we hadn't picked it up by now, the relationship between the Spren and the Shard Blades and the Honor Blades and all that stuff. Kaladin has recovered Seth's Honor Blade. Yeah, I think that was an interesting observation to me. Specifically that she talks about how the Honor Blade gives somebody the powers of being a Knight's Radiant, uh, a Sky Windrunner, a Windrunner specifically, but without any of the what she calls checks. So in other words, they can have all the same powers that Kaladin has, but they don't have to to hold to an oath. Mm -hmm. They don't have to demonstrate through their behavior that they're a, quote, good guy. Mm -hmm. So sort of how, and she's terrified of that blade for that reason. It's Mm -hmm. not that it's necessarily somehow evil in and of itself, but Mm -hmm. that it can be used that way. Whereas, you know, Syl can't be used that way. And I think that's an interesting part of this world and the shards and the spren and all of that. That's one thing that I do think is interesting. I can't think of anything else. I'm sure it's out there and I'm just not thinking of it. That is sort of Anakin proof. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like if your lightsaber suddenly were to say, fuck you when you turn to the dark side. Right. And again, we, this, Very interesting concept of, okay, the honor blades were given to men by their, their higher power by, by honor, but they had this flaw and now you have the spren in imitating them, almost making something better. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that could be argued or not, but it's an interesting concept. I think it could be argued. Yeah. We don't know everything. Well, I don't know. Maybe we do know everything about Honor Blades, but I suspect that we don't. We learn a little bit more about them in future chapters as well toward the end of this Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Another interesting thing is that Teft tells Kaladin that during the battle, he saw some of the the lads starting to glow. Yeah. 
So he tells him that the Knights Radiant weren't just, they were, it was a huge organization. It wasn't just the Knights. I guess they had, there were other surge binders that were part of that as well. So it's like, it it really is the world turned upside down. The entire hierarchy of this society is gonna, is really just gonna flip. Yeah. And that's, and Kaladin wonders about that. What are they going to do when they're, you know, when there's a, you know, a bunch of bridgemen and former slaves who are now have light eyes and these powers that other light eyes don't have. And that's good because fuck those Alethi. Right. You know, although it seems like Alethkar in general is being thrown into a huge amount of turmoil. Kolinars, there's rioting. And so it seems like the whole structure is, even without that is already sort of being turned on its head. You know, on one hand, if you wanted to be cynical, you could be like, oh, this place is lousy with surge mm-hmm. binders now. Or, however, that's, it, it's never really, from the moment that you started to know what Knight's Radiance were, it was always sort of hinted that there was going to be lots of them. Right. And goodness knows there aren't nearly as many as there are Parshendi or Parshman. Not yet. Not yet. For yeah. sure. Let's talk about Moash. How are we feeling about him at this point? I'm assuming you're, by the way you phrase the question, you're not talking about the fact that he just kind of gets away scot-free. Well, I guess more I was thinking about the way that he's like, oh, poor me. I've been played for one of the ten fools. Like, are we feeling sorry for him at this point? Are we feeling like his actions were justified? Are, are we having any kind of sympathy for him? Are we still seeing him as the bad guy? What do we think is going to happen next with him? I think you'd be hard-pressed not to have some degree of sympathy for the guy. I mean, I'm not sitting there and piling on his pity party. You know, he did something stupid. But he also did something stupid that Kaladin was right on board with up until mm-hmm. the very last minute, you know? So we can't put Kaladin in the camp of, you know, being this awesome hero and then look at Moash and saying, you know, you're super evil. They're, I mean, what separated them was uh, obviously a hugely critical decision at the end, but up to that point, they were in camp together, mm-hmm. you know, and this guy has sort of put himself through his own sort of misguided efforts. He's put himself in a really weird situation. And now apparently he's going to become a shard bearer for, for the folks supporting the diagram. So he's, mm-hmm. he's going to get wrapped up in this bigger picture and he's getting moved around like a pawn on a chessboard. And now he doesn't really have a, choice but go with this guy gray as well that's not entirely true but seems like at least in the short term he doesn't have much of a choice but go along with this cat but at the same point in time we also can't forget that this guy you know has been advocating for killing people from the beginning you know uh, so he's not really like, I, don't, I feel sorry for him, but I only feel so sorry for him. And, I mean, he actively tried to kill Kaladin. Yeah, exactly. When Kaladin yeah, stood yeah. in his way. He he made his choice as to what was more important to him. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, you know, that's obviously a big thing that separates him. Is It's sort of, 
you know, nobody gets through life without thinking evil thoughts. We all have batshit crazy stuff that runs through our head, but we don't act upon it, you know? And this guy just got caught up in his vengeance. Now, he also comes from a society that's like incredibly violent, you know? But at the end, he made the decision Mm -hmm. to kill his friend, kill the king. As much as he can justify it in his head that it was for the greater good, it was was all about vengeance. It was always about vengeance. Mm -hmm. That's all it was ever about. I mean, I guess I kind of hope something can come from Moash. He doesn't seem like a villain. Right. Yeah, I'm with you on all that. The grave stuff is interesting, though, because I have this quote here. It says, this is Kaladin saying Everstorm. And that is, and then Graves replies, the diagram is vague. We only know the term because of old Gavilar's vision. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So did we know that Gavilar was having visions? Gavilar, not Dalinar. I believe it's been mentioned in a very kind of offhanded way. Yeah, I don't remember it being mentioned. I certainly don't remember us talking about it. It's not stunning to me that, you know, Gavilar may have been having similar type of visions to what Dalinar was having. And then when Gavilar died, they moved to Dalinar. But I don't think we knew that. And then if he was having visions, like a lot of people seem to know about Dalinar's visions Mm -hmm. because of the way they manifest themselves. To this point, the only person I know who knows that Gavilar was having visions is Graves. Well, the the Ghostbloods, when they sent Shallan into Dalinar's war camp, they said to her something to the extent of da- old Gavilar knew stuff. Like, he had the ins. He knew stuff that we wanted to know about, and we want to know if Dalinar knows it as well. So maybe it wasn't put out there that he had visions, but it was known in... We've got a couple of these circles yeah. moving in this weird secret society, these weird secret societies who all kind of indicated that they knew that Gavilar knew things. Well, and that we knew kind of from the beginning, because the I mean, from the be- beginning, he starts to drop. I mean, we we have very little time with Gavilar, but he he drops some really important stuff in that little bit of time. And we know from Dalinar's recollections of him that you know, he's reading old esoteric books and pulling all this, mm-hmm. you know. So I don't think any of us were shocked by that. But this is the first mention I've heard that he was having visions. But more to the point is when I hear that, I sort of think, okay, if that was hush-hush that he was having these visions, it seems like it was, then how is it that this guy knows about it? Was Is this an indication that Gavilar was somehow involved with Teravangian? Don't know. When he talks to Seth, he talks about Rastaras, he talks about Sadius, he talks about Thetakar. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk about Teravangian. No. So, Other people must have known stuff was going on, though. I'm sure 
I'm sure other people must have. But it's just interesting to think because there's another point, I think, in the last section or maybe earlier where the ghost bloods again, yeah, as you said, they talk about Gavilar. Oh, it's later in the chapter with Amaram when Amaram says, oh, Gavilar would be proud of us. And I'm like, wait a minute, everybody's claiming a piece of uh, Gavilar's legacy. Yeah, I mean, you kind of realize that Gavilar was the one who really set all of this in motion. Yeah. And it comes back to that sort of um, the escalating nature of conflict. You know, um, Gavilar started down this road of wanting to bring back the powers of the Radiance, and that ended up spurring the the Parshendi to start seeking the powers of their old gods as well. Yeah. And just kind of this ever-escalating layers of crisis and, like and layers it, of conflict. It's like it all began at the beginning. It's like it all began at the beginning. Great. Gavilar's ghost, Scooby. <laughs> Chapter 88 is called The Man Who Owned the Winds. In Eurythiru, Shallan confronts her final secret. Amaram escapes, taking Talon with him. And Seth gets a new sword. Seth! But I thought he was dead. <laughs> Not for long. <laughs> so we didn't really talk too much about, we mentioned it, but we didn't talk too much about Lopin and the king. Right. Last chapter. And how he hides him with his mother, dresses him up like a Herdasian. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's like Lopin and the king is like, Early 80s sitcom, like odd couple type. <laughs> right. Welcome to the Lopin and the King, you know, and he comes in and the Lopin's throwing his trash everywhere. And Elicar's like, Did you not have to smoke cigars in here? This is my bedroom, you know. And I just love the scene before that reveal where we find out where the king is. Dalinar and Navani are questioning Kaladin. They're like, Where's the king? We've looked everywhere, all the monasteries, all the yeah. all the palaces, you yeah. know, and he's like, Oh, I hit him somewhere real good. Real good. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> and he did. And he did. Uh, that's the best part of the book. Uh you know what? I'm I'm with you on that. I think it might be. <laughs> I think it might be. But you know what's not the best part of this book? What? No. I, I not really what I meant to say. Um, you know what's not a very fun part of this book? Okay. Murray's being a dick. Yeah, Murray's is kind of a dick. He's being a real dick. Murray's played by Kevin Spacey. Yeah, you can uh, yeah, see it, right? yeah, I can see it. Yeah. yeah, being a dick, being a dick, grabbing dicks. <laughs> what? Too soon? <laughs> it might be. So Shalon is heading to her room and she has a confrontation with Marais and uh, she's like, oh, blast, you found my 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 true identity. And Marais is like, but have I? He said, but which identity is the true identity? Which I, <laughs> I was looking for barbarians, but the barbarians were me all along. <laughs> he also tells her that her father was a ghost blood, which she knew, but he also says that her brother sought out the skybreakers, 
which is something that we did not know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was perplexed by that until later in the chapter we figure out who the skybreakers are. Who the skybreakers are. are, yeah. But, you know, and I'm like, her brother, like, I'm assuming it's her older brother who was, right. you know, wearing the sharp plate. And we knew he, or at least I thought we knew that he was in bed with the ghost bloods as well. We did not know that for sure. I think we kind of maybe we speculated it. that, yeah, because he went off and found powerful friends. Well, that he did. So there were two things in this whole interchange that Marie says that are things we hadn't seen to this point. The first being skybreakers, which she talked about, and and maybe this has been brought up and I don't remember it, but the Bobski. He's like, right. my, like, what the hell is that? That's his his teacher. Oh, okay. It's the chick with the mask oh, on her face. Oh, yeah. She's busy shooting spitballs at Amaranth. <laughs> Badly. Ba- yeah. Badly aiming darts at Amaranth. She's the worst teacher ever. <laughs> can be. Can we agree? <laughs> yes, absolutely. She's the, she's the worst teacher ever. She's pretty much completely wasted as what could have been a, a really creepy character and wound up not being creepy. And yeah. then apparently being some kind of master spy trainer who's well, those, terrible at spy stuff. Those who can't do teach. I guess. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I was pleased, though, to see Shalon sort of stand up to him and be like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a shrieking violet, shrinking violet. I'm going to... Shrieking violets are terrifying. Sounds awful. I mean, shrinking violets would also, you know, be weird, but a shrieking violet? That's very Get scary. Get that right out of my house. <laughs> no, thank you. But yeah, I, I was appreciated. I appreciated seeing her stand up to him and sort of confront him because he's a scary dude. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a little bit more scary to me that he's like, I don't care if you're Shalon and you're right. tied in with the nobility. What, like, what, all that shit's not important to me. You know? uh, yeah, and and to take this this whole thing where she's been lying to them about who she really is, and he's like, "Oh no, you're one of us." Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, don't you want to be one of the ghost bloods? And she's like, "No, you killed my mentor." And he's like, "Well, she tried to kill us." <laughs> I mean, turnabout's fair play. And then just walks out of there like he owns the joint. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I have your brothers. Don't worry, I'm going to give them back to you. Oh, my favorite line from this, one of my favorite lines from this whole part is where he says to her, okay, he said, this is not blackmail. I'm returning your brothers. They'll be safe. This is, that's a gift to you. He said, but your family does owe me one soul caster broken. And he says, how convenient that that's exactly what you are. Yep. I didn't catch that the first time I threw Second time, I was like, what? The soul? I don't, who wants a broken soul cast? Let's mm-hmm. <laughs> go completely dense about it. Mm-hmm. And then when I read it the second time, I was like, oh, I see. <laughs> I see what you're doing there. Somebody, somebody passed 11th grade English. So then we have Shalon confronting her memory. Yeah. And it was sort of what we thought it was going to be. Right. That her mother tried to attack her, but I think it's interesting what was revealed to me through the process was that it was because she sensed that Shalon was a Knight's Radiant. 
or mm-hmm. had those powers. Yes. And it was because of that that this mother was willing to turn on her own child and stab her to death. Mm-hmm. So that is some serious, serious devotion to wanting to stop the Knights Radiant from returning. Mm-hmm. And who do we know who want to stop the Knights Radiant from returning? T-Sizzle. And we know that Shallan's mother came with her new friend, and that's when all the problems started. Who also apparently was a real badass because he overpowered her, her father. father, who is a huge, strong man. Yep. So I have a feeling we'll see that dude again. Well, no, he's oh, no, dead. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> well, hey, oh. that do- that doesn't mean anything. I mean. Doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. But so for me, this is one of the the saddest parts of the book, the most felious parts of the book. She goes through. So she walks into her room and what triggers the memory is, is Pattern has picked a room that has a spot on the wall that kind of looks like a picture frame could have hung there. And it reminds her of her father's study. And um, as soon as she thinks of that, she starts to fuzz out and Pattern says, you, it's time. Like for for her order of knights radiant, she has to confront truths about herself, and it's time for her to confront this one so she can be actually become a knight's radiant. And at the end of the memory, she finally goes through it all, and um, she turns to Pattern and says, "I hate you." And he says, "I know." And one day you're going to kill me, and you're you'll have your revenge. Yeah. And it's so like like they've been. We've been building this relationship between Shalon and Pattern, this very sweet relationship between them for like a thousand some pages. And then to have it like revealed that she blames him for her mother's death and and he fully thinks that she's going to kill him for that is just so sad. Well, and it's well juxtaposed against the relationship with Syl and Kaladin, mm-hmm. th- because this whole book, you sort of think, or big chunks of the book, you think that's a, one of the central stories is that Kaladin is losing Syl, and then mm-hmm. you have this sort of triumphant victory, and they're best buds, and they're out, you know, destroying the assassin White. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, where we never really thought there was a rocky relationship we find that between Shallan and Pattern exists this huge wedge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was definitely definitely the saddest part of the book. Mm-hmm. Other than when that shoemaker died for no reason. Oh, damn, that was really sad. So next we have Amaram. Old Black Betty. Old Black Betty. Working who, with the Sons of Honor. He's part of the Sons of Honor. He's got his black leather jacket. S O H on the back of it. <laughs> Riding his hog. It's homeboy Rastares. Yeah, it says 1% patch, but it's, <laughs> it's for the 1% income bracket, not for the 1% outlaws. <laughs> so he drops in there that uh, he and he and Rastares call themselves the Sons of Honor. Which I think is sort of ironic, given that Kaladin is the child of Tanavast. And I do not think that he would enjoy being called Amram's brother. 
it just goes to show that Amaram has been a poser from the start. Yeah. <laughs> Total poser. But it's interesting because you see this character who is so wants to be a, a knight's radiant and wants to bring back wants to bring back the Knights Radiant, wants to bring back the dominance of the church for what he thinks is a very good reason. Yeah. And he tries to do it by looking out and acting outwardly like he thinks a Knights Radiant would act. But he's not, when it comes down to it, he's not actually willing to be become a person of integrity and have that integrity on the inside. You know, it's all about appearances for him. So it's an interesting contrast with with Kaladin. Well, yeah, and because, I mean, what he is doing flies so dramatically in the face of the first set of words. He wants to, and, and it it's a problem I have with Teravangian as well, but he wants to, in, in order to save the world and for the greater good, mm-hmm. so the heralds can be brought back, he wants to go about it by bringing back the Voidbringers, which mm-hmm. he thinks will trigger it. So his way of saving the world is by going out of his way to destroy life. Mm-hmm. So instead of, you know, life before death, he's, you know, going death before life. Mm-hmm. He's coming at it from all, you know, completely the wrong angle. I don't like him. It's messed up. I don't like him. He is... Not on my Christmas card list. <laughs> so then we have Seth. Yeah, man. Waking up, being like, I'm not dead. The dude with the silver scar, we find out, is totally in love with Seth. He is all about some Seth. Oh, it makes to- it makes perfect sense. <laughs> right? Makes perfect sense. So, but we find out that dude's name, he's Nahal. Mm-hmm. Nin, or the Herald of Justice. Mm-hmm. He's he's like the Judge Wapner of Roshar. He is. He's from the People's Court. These are not stories. These are real. <laughs> That's what I thought of. Dun, 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 or whatever that music was for the People's Court. I don't mm-hmm. remember. But that's what I thought of when I found out he was the judge, the Herald of Justice. Mm-hmm. And so he wants to make Seth a member of the Skybreakers. Mm-hmm. Skybreakers, we've heard that somewhere before. We have, strangely. Strangely, from Marais. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that the Ghostbloods and this guy are in cahoots? Not necessarily. Um, we don't even necessarily know if Hilarion was one of the Ghostbloods. Yeah. We've heard about the Skybreakers in one of the previous Snapters, where they were mm. describing the different orders of Knights Radiant. Okay. So each order of Knights Radiant took one of the Heralds as kind of a patron. And they said that the Skybreakers were the last to be able to convince Nail to sponsor them, to be their patron. Like, he didn't like the idea of the Knights Radiant. He was mm. he was not about it. And uh, they were the one of the last ones, so that each order would would try to adopt the sort of ethics and and characteristics of that herald. So the skybreakers, I guess that Nail is training, he is training according to to a very strict set of ideals. And he's found his poster boy. 
Yes, he has. 100%. He says to Seth, I watched you destroy yourself in the name of order. And he's like, and that's hot, man. That's <laughs> so hot. I would totally make out with you right now, but we are not married, which would be illegal in the weird, semi-medieval <laughs> environment that we live in. So therefore, I'll keep it in my pants. <laughs> he also makes a couple of comments. He and Seth make a couple of comments about the honor blades. We find out that they're being held by the Shin and that they do bestow different powers. We know that Syl told Kaladin that the honor blade that Seth had would give anyone who held it the powers of a windrunner. Mm -hmm. But then Nail tells Seth, two of the blades that your people have allow access to the surge of regrowth. So it wouldn't... So we know that Seth's sword allows somebody to become a windrunner, but it would stand to reason that that's not necessarily true of all of the the blades. And since some of them have different powers, seems like it's likely that there's a honor blade for each of the different types of Knights Radiant. Right. Because Brandon Sanderson loves him some symmetry. He does. Likes him some symmetry. Likes the numbers. Number 10. And on Roshar, it's the number 10. The special number. But the chapter concludes with the best part. The best part. Yes. Nahal giving Seth Nightblood so metal. Were you like so tell what was your reaction? That was that was one of my damn moments. I was right. like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> like and I know that we have a at least a couple of people who have not finished Warbreaker yet, and I'm not. We're not going to spoil Warbreaker, um, so we won't get into the details. Nightblood lives. Sorry, but, he's a sword. He can't die. We're not going to get into the uh, the details of of what we already know about Nightblood, other than to say, damn, damn. that's a game changer. Yes, it is. What I do wonder, though, and I think that we can speculate on this because it doesn't spoil anything to do with with warbreaker but do we have any indication that nightblood would be able to help him sport like draw stormlight or anything like i guess it doesn't matter he's going to make him a knight's radiant but i thought it was up to the spren to to accept the words and choose the bonding not up to the herald to do it correct but who knows what different spren are looking for and whether or not these wind these skybreakers will be able to find spren to attract mm, also okay. when he gives night blood to seth he calls it a shard blade he says i have a replacement shard blade for you I guess that's true, yeah. I guess there's no reason to think that it wouldn't behave like a shard blade on this planet. We, mm -hmm. we don't know. I mean, we know that, that Nightblood sucks the essence from a person. So whatever that looks like on Roshar, I guess we'll find out. We'll find out. I have a prediction about it. Yes. Are you ready to move on to Chapter 89? Chapter 89 is called The Four. The Alethi settle into Urethiru. Adolin ties up a loose end. 
<laughs> and the three knights radiant, Kaladin, Renarin, and Shallan, welcome a fourth member of their order. Dalinar, who just bonded the Stormfather. Damn. Damn. There's a lot of damn. So did you have a damn moment in this one? Oh, I had a, I had a damn moment in this one. My damn moment was, holy fuck, Adolin killed Sadius in the most brutal way possible. That is some dark shit. I mean, that's the main character death for you. He just snapped. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, for Sadius me- is not dead. Well... He got stabbed in the brain. Let me put it this way. He's dead now. Stabbed in the brain is pretty dead. We'll see. Sadius 2020, baby. <laughs> so what did you think of Sadius's murder? Did you find it satisfying? I mean... Yeah, I'm glad that Sadius got his, but... For the perfect boyfriend to have done it in such a cold-blooded, brutal fashion. It's pretty rough, man. It's pretty rough to read. But not unenjoyable, but it was just, now I've got this other conflict of like, what the fuck? Like, Adolin Colon is a cold-blooded murderer. Yeah, I mean, for me, I thought that was pretty cool. Because, yeah, he was very much like... Like, yeah, like a Ken doll, basically, of a character. Yeah. And then he turned, you turn around. And on the other hand, you've got this guy, Sadius, who has tried to kill him and his father and yeah. all of his men multiple times. You know, time after time, Sadius is just dicking with them, dicking with them, oh, always yeah. getting one over. And the whole time you're like, someone just needs to stab this dude. <laughs> 2,000 pages of going, someone just needs to stab this dude. And someone, someone finally, finally just, does. You know, and yeah. he's standing there taunting Adolin. I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to keep on messing with you. And there yeah, is, yeah. and then just, <laughs> he just stabs him in the Fine. face. <laughs> he's like, you know what? <laughs> I appreciate though that it was done with there was no artistry there was no mm-hmm. and it's even mentioned in the text it wasn't dueling mm-hmm. it was you know this was not a you know an artful or skilled thing this was brut- brutal murder by my hands mm-hmm. but my where i say it's i mean it's satisfying to see C- sadius get killed but it's going to drive a wedge between Adolin and Dalinar it can't help but Mm -hmm. drive a wedge between those two characters Mm -hmm. and I can't help but feeling that at some point Dalinar is going to sit in judgment of his son for killing his enemy who wanted to kill him because that's that's the way Dalinar rolls. Mm-hmm. Aelin's going to get caught or if he doesn't get caught, he's going to carry this guilt with him everywhere because mm-hmm. he is not, he's going to struggle with what he did. Mm-hmm. That's going to be rough. Mm-hmm. 
but it makes Adolin much more interesting character because frankly, to this point, takes 10 dudes to carry his ego from room to room. I, I like, he's just not that interesting of a character. Mm-hmm. He's not a bad character. He's just not very interesting. Well, and I love what he says to him right before he kills him. He says, my father thinks that I'm a better man than he is. Yeah. But unfortunately for you, he's, he's wrong. wrong. <laughs> what I like just the, the, the simple in italics, that's it. Yep. Like just in that moment, he yeah. was like, fuck it. <laughs> Murder time. <laughs> like, like <laughs> I can only stand here and be, and be told over and over again to my face by you that you're going to try to, you're going to get me eventually. And what's interesting is one of the very few point of view chapters we've had of with Sadius was him reflecting on Adolin's weakness and that he was easily provoked and that one of his strategies that he was going to use was going to be pushing Adolin over the edge. He got hoisted on and his own <laughs> dagger. He did. He so, his- I mean, whose fault is it really? <laughs> I'm well, just saying. Well, that's what makes it interesting to read because mm-hmm. it's not like if Adolin had just like, if Sadius was like, you know, I've been thinking about it and maybe I, oh, fuck, is that a dagger? Like, right. Like, <laughs> well, and Adolin tries to talk him around he a does. little and yeah, says yeah. to him, it doesn't have to be this way. Why are you like this? <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, I mean that's it's the complexity it's not clear cut you know sadius is one of the most blatantly evil characters in the book the closest to just pure evil that we have Mm -hmm. and he certainly has no compunction about going around and killing anybody else to satisfy his means so we shouldn't be all that upset that Mm -hmm. sadius gets killed and I predicted that Sadius was going to get killed. But at the same point in time, Adolin just murdered him mm-hmm. in cold blood with nobody around and tried to hide it. Mm-hmm. No sort of, he it's going against everything that everybody else in his family is going towards. Like mm-hmm. he just, he just took a turn in a very different direction from everybody else in this book. And again, it was, you can justify why he did it, but it's still murder. Like Mm -hmm. there's no way around it. It's murder. Yep. So, but that's what makes it good. That's what makes it good to read. Yeah. That's one of my favorite parts of the book as well. Oh yeah. That was definitely, I mean, I, I put it, I put it, uh, Adolin killing Sadius, Nightblood, uh, Lopinub. <laughs> Lopinub is the best. I mean, that's, that's my ranking. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then we have another exciting thing happen in this chapter, which is Dalinar bonding the Stormfather and becoming a Knight's Radiant. How did you, how did he even know he could do that? <laughs> Well, he's been reading. It's in, well, it's interesting because when he he comes down after doing it, and we will talk about that interaction with the Stormfather in a minute. But when he comes downstairs, 
Shalon and Callan are standing there and they're like, did it work? So this is obviously oh, something okay. that they coached him through. I missed that. Okay. And uh, he was had planned to try and do. He's like, you know who's a spren? <laughs> the storm fog. Here, spren, 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 spren. If only I knew where there was a spren. <laughs> right. Who's the biggest, <laughs> baddest spren there is? I mean, come on, that's some big dick energy right I'm just there. talking about Stormfather. <laughs> that is, that's big spren energy. It's big spren energy, yep. Absolutely. So Dalinar goes up to the roof, and he's like, hey, Stormfather. Yeah. Oh, when the sun beats down and heats the top up on the roof. So he he does find out that the Stormfather sent him those visions because the Almighty made him. He actually is not down with humankind existing on the earth. He kind of just wants to wipe them all out. And he's maybe more than a little bit crazy. Silk says he's broken. Mm-hmm. And yet he seems, you know... As he, the Stormfather himself mentioned, he, he doesn't entirely have free will because the Almighty said he had to do X, Y, and Z. And when Dalinar says the oath, he's like, these uh, words are accepted. Like, yeah. And, you know, there's a part of me that's like, why? Like, he clearly is not down with this. Why would he go along with this? But he doesn't. He's a spren. He's not a human being. He doesn't have free will. And so... It's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. And Mm -hmm. Stormfather's like, all right, fine. I'll let you walk me around like your dog, but only. But I'm not going to be a sword. But I will not be a sword. (laughs) I was like, "Ah, I'm cool with that. I don't really like that anyway. (laughs) So he calls him Bondsmith, which is, I guess, what Dalinar has become. We've seen them before, mentioned before in the Snapters, describing different orders. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's the, the main thing that we learn about them is that their number is always three. Okay, I missed that, but okay. So back in the Snapters, you wouldn't have, I believe you, you. wouldn't remember yeah. everything. I'm just yeah. reminding you of yeah, yeah. what we know about them. Because now this is when all that information becomes kind of interesting now that we see characters actually becoming these members you're nodding you but it's like you don't agree with me no no i i I do agree with you it's to this point you know there's been dropping hints about the knights radian the different things and the bonds and the you know all these things have kind of been dropped but to this point it's it doesn't it's not meant anything right but obviously he's laying the groundwork for it to mean something later uh, and in Oathbringer, we should find out more about it. Yeah. But to this point, it's just another game of interesting fact. Yeah. And there's two little other interesting facts dropped in Dalinar's as he's just kind of thinking to himself about everything that they're doing. They've been reaching out. They've been trying to tell the rest of the world what's going on. He he talks about the new emperor of Azir. Oh, yeah. Azir. <laughs> Who we know is Gox. Yeah, exactly. Gox the thief. <laughs> yeah. So that's just kind of funny how he's like, 
trying to impress this new emperor and you know we know who he is he also thinks about t- talks about Teravangian. yeah he's like oh god, god bless oh, him god bless Terra. at least Teravangian is out there trying to kill me at the every fort down, step. Right? <laughs> so, so that's kind of funny well Teravangian is just a very interesting character mm-hmm and so the word, the second ideal that he has to find is uh, that the words that he said were, I will unite instead of divide, which seems kind of easy compared to all the other second ideals there, whatever that Kaladin had to find. I mean, he's being told, unite them, unite them, unite them. Like, I think the difference is with Dalinar has never really wavered from his purpose, mm-hmm. you know, and Kaladin yeah. is, you know. That's true. He's been all over the he's place. He's been all over the goddamn place. So Dalinar comes back downstairs, sucks in some stormlight to show off. First try. And uh, then he finds out that we find out that Renarin is also. And now, did you suspect this? Oh, I think, yeah, I think it was I even feel like one that of, was one of your predictions. It was one of my predictions, yeah. I didn't, it, you know, when they were like, oh, well, that's why you're not wearing your glasses. Your eyes have been healed. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. well, yeah, of course, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I did not put that much together but yes i i definitely predicted that renarin would be some sort of mm-hmm. um some sort of radiant so we find out that renarin is a truth watcher and the thing that he does is he sees we don't know what the truth i guess he's a truth watcher he's a truth watcher he's a truth watcher Watching truths go by. <laughs> my, my, my. Here comes one now. So, epilogue? It's the epilogue. So, Wit is monologuing. <laughs> talking to crabs. This time, he's talking to an ugly lizard crab thing about the nature of art. The soul of art is expectation, he explains. Eventually, the person he's been expecting shows up. It's Yasna, back from the other side and ready to stop the Everstorm and refound the Night's Radiant. Whoops. She is the worst Adele ever. Because <laughs> she comes from the other side pointing a sword at him. Like, that is one fine hello. Right? Not very friendly. Not at all. So I think this would have been, I think, more powerful if they didn't put Yasna on the cover of the third book. Yes, that definitely loses its power. I mean, technically, I guess, how do you know who's on who that chick is on the cover? But it's, of course, that's very easy it's- to accidentally overhear or find out. Well, there's not that many female, there's just not that many female characters in these books. And so the one sort of hot almond skin looking 30 year old, there's only one of those. (laughs) Well, for those of us who read it before the third book came out. I'm sure. Yeah, it was a cool moment. I'm sure it was. That's (laughs) the thing. I feel like uh, I feel like we kind of ruined that moment for ourselves by being able to guess that. But again, you know, you probably shouldn't put the Red Wedding on the cover. Like, I don't think it really matter in the end because I don't think that was, I don't think it's the surprise that right. is really the part that 
is going to be important in the long run. It's what, you know, it's having another another Knight's Radiant from another um, school of Knight's Radiance, somebody who can understand the, the cognitive realm at a very high level, all the things that she's able to bring to the table, and she has a better sense of what the bigger picture is than probably anybody else does. So it's all of that that is really more important in the end. But I also feel like he wasn't trying all that hard to, like... To make that a secret. To make that a secret, you know? Well, and even without knowing the... Even cover aside, I think a good number of our listeners right away were like, oh, she's not dead. Well, and then, you know, we find out later in the book that, you know, we know she shares some abilities with Shallan. We don't really know what they are, but we also know that Shallan can project images of herself into places. Now, whether that's what happened or not, I don't know. We also know that pretty much anything but like a direct blow to the brain will not kill a radiant. Yeah, good point. So it doesn't. It's not even as complicated as as, right. as all that. Yeah, right. I mean, Shalana said, "I'm pretty sure I could take a spear." through my stomach and I would walk away. Yeah. You know, Shalon got stabbed. I mean, Yasna got stabbed in the heart, but... And yet it hasn't ever crossed her mind that Yasna wouldn't be dead. Oh, good point. Very good point. I guess she would assume that Yasna would have showed up if she wasn't dead. She might not realize what the Yasnas can travel to the other side or where she might have been. Well, also, I mean, in the case of Yasna too, so not only, not only was she, if it was in fact her laying there, not only was she stabbed and had a hole, you know, punched in her, in her torso, but she also ended up, would have ended up on the bottom of the ocean. Right. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how quickly you can heal wounds, you, you, you can't breathe. Right. So, um, so it, I think it is reasonable for her to, to be perplexed by that. Mm-hmm. So we also have this character, Yasna, coming back, this character who's always been ahead of the curve when it came to the Desolation and the Voidbringers, the one who was always trying to warn other people about what was going to happen. Yeah. Now having to come in after it's all said and done and deal with the aftermath and have to come in and sort of play catch up. And it's going to be interesting to see what her relationship with Shalon looks like now that Shalon is, has been at the forefront of all of this stuff and kind of taken her, taken her place. Also interesting that she's been in the, cognitive realm apparently spending a lot of time with the high spren mm-hmm. who listened to entirely too much reggae <laughs> and you know she has an idea about how this is all supposed to play out but as soon as she gets there and talks to wit she realizes that there's something that's changed it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like the wheel of time thing where you go through this over and over again but there's something different about this time mm-hmm. So she came back with all this information. It might be completely useless. Mm -hmm. No way to know. So one other thing 
in the epilogue that I find is interesting is the way Wit again refers to creatures on this planet like as ugly lizard crab things using kind of terms that we're familiar with to refer to, I guess, what Rosharans would call Kremlings or have some other kind of name for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it reminds me of when he's telling the story to Kaladin and he and he says something about a bunny and a squirrel and he's like, what? And, he, yeah. and Kaladin's like, what? And he goes, oh, um, a disgusting slug thing and a horrible lizard crab, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. instead. And what's interesting about that is there's a scene right before Adolin kills Sadius where he's looking at a mural on the wall and he said there were all sorts of paintings of mythological animals animals oh. that were only found in stories and one of them was a a mink like creature with a mane of hair around its face which sounds like a lion so it's just interesting that up to now we've only ever heard of wit talking about animals that that did not seem native to roshar that we would mm. find on on earth but yet there's a painting of um, something like that. It's because Odium reigns and cultivations fighting a losing battle over there in Shinovar, trying to hold on to anything that resembles a normal planet and slowly being destroyed by Krem. Just another little tidbit. It is. File it away before we chisel all the shit off this planet. So we're running kind of long. I don't want to get super into all the snapters right now, but. Uh, well, this is the final episode for this right. book. So, all right. So there's no other time to do it. So let's do it. So let's go through um, chapter 86. The snapter talks about it says all it says actually is one is almost certainly a traitor to the others. And these are all like, I think, excerpts from the diagram. Um, and in chapter 87, it says. Chaos in Alucar is, of course, inevitable. Watch carefully and do not let power in the kingdom solidify. The Blackthorn could become an ally or our greatest foe, depending on whether he takes the path of the warlord or not. If he seems likely to sue for peace, assassinate him expeditiously. The risk of competition is too great. In Chapter 89, the Four, it says, There has to be an answer. What is the answer? Stop the Parshendi. One of them, yes, they are the missing piece. Push for the Alethi to destroy them outright before this one obtains their power. It will form a bridge. So, those are the snapters. That is them. They snapped. So, are you ready for listener interactions? Yes. So, Christine Cobb said, so... How's Kaladin going to deal now that he's a light eyes? And then Lori Phillips says, and these kind of go together. So she says, how long do you think it'll take for the people on this planet to stop classing by eye color? And what will finally cause that to change? So I think these are interesting questions because the eye color thing seems to really be heavily prevalent in a lethe society but when you get on the western part of the continent, I don't think it holds true. Am I correct? Correct. But Alethi society has basically been shattered because the shattered plains are no more. Well, I'm, I'm sure the plains are there, but there's no Alethi left there. Uh, and Kolinar is in pretty much open revolt. So you've got 
slaves who are turning into light eyes. I think I think this is if if this doesn't change it, then nothing ever will. Mm-hmm. Ashley Ketchum says. How do you think Adolin will deal with everyone around him now that they are all Radiants? Do you think he will feel like an outcast or jealous? And will he become broken from holding in his new secret about killing Sadius? I'm concerned about Adolin. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely concerned about him. I, I think he's, I, I don't know if he's going to struggle with people around him being Radiants. He doesn't, so far at least, he doesn't really seem to suffer from jealousy like that. And I probably would have predicted that Adolin would have become a Radiant, but and, and he may still, but he's going to have to atone for this open murder, and I don't think that'll happen quickly. So if it happens for him, it'll, it'll be a long time. I, I don't really see him struggling as much with the, the fact that people around him are Radiants. I see him struggling with the fact that he no matter how you want to justify it, committed murder Mm -hmm. and he's going to have to hide it. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to live with that secret. And I think that's going to cause problems for him. Mm -hmm. I think, I think we're going to see Adolin go through some pretty significant downtimes. Marion Perara says, what do you think Wit's goal is? He seems to understand what's going on in this world, but has little desire to actually help or intervene. Wit's an interesting character because we don't really know much about him other than he can hop from planet to planet and he shows up in a lot of the different stories. We have this weird thing going on with the Cosmere in general where we have these spren and then we have these intelligent spren and then we have these super powered spren and then we have characters like wit and then we have characters like race and then we have the actual you know all powerful gods or whatever you know so it, there's all these different levels of things and it's highly complicated i certainly don't know that i can say what is the deal with wit or what his, but, but I do think his goals are to stop the Cosmere from being destroyed mm-hmm. by, by race. That's mm-hmm. sort of what I think his goals are. And so he's trying to kind of be there to facilitate things in different planets and push people in the right direction. Mm-hmm. That's the way I'm reading it. Yeah. Lori Phillips says, Will there be another Dreamcast for this? I wasn't here the first time around, but I get it if there won't be, since most of the characters are the same. Although maybe some people's original ideas for who they would play have changed. I think generally we haven't really been doing that in the second books, or we've been waiting until the end. Yeah, I could conceive of us doing it again at the end of Oathbringer, where presumably we'll have more characters Right. Uh, that are brought up and edge dancer as well. Right. So I think that's something we'll probably revisit when we get to the end of the written material. Mm-hmm. Theo Graham Brown says, interested in your thoughts on uh, Nin getting Seth on his team. He seems to be killing radiant knights based on them having committed some terrible crimes. 
like Tommy Lee Jones playing Two-Face and Batman Forever just standing there flipping the coin until it comes up scratched. But wait a minute, I think it's fair to say that Seth has broken one or two laws in his time. Yet this dude is like, sure, you can be on my all-powerful squad of death judges who uphold the law harder than Judge Dredd. <laughs> it's a very astute summary of the situation. I did hear the most awesome thing I've ever heard today. Yeah, what's that? Instead of Judge Dredd, Judge Fred, where the character is Fred Flintstone as Dr- Judge Dredd. <laughs> Which I thought was awesome. Um I mean, so Seth did break the law, but he also died. Yes, and I think he says that. You died, all your bonds are severed, you're reborn. Yeah, so he kind of, he was, he got his punishment for those things. Yeah. So I think that answers that sort of thing. And I I, I don't trust this uh, Milan Nin character. No, he definitely is seeking out the letter of the law in order to do what he wants, which is he wants to stop the radiance from coming back because he believes that, and rightly so, that the radiance coming back will cause things to escalate, which will cause the Voidbringers to come back. Yeah. Um, I think the interesting thing is now that that's a foregone conclusion, what does he do now? I mean, on the surface... He seems to want to restore the Skybreakers. Yeah. What that means, well, who knows? Gordon Ross says, So shape-changing Shardblades are Spren. Honor Blades are the swords of the Heralds and might or might not be Spren. And non-shape-changing Shardblades are dead Spren. Do I have that right? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And if so, how will Syl react when Kaladin eventually world hops to Westeros and tries to claim the throne made of her dead ancestors? <laughs> Come on now, Gordon Roth. That's cold. <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore. It does not. Spoilers for Game of Thrones. We're not going to do that again. Brian McClure says, what did you think about Seth's last scene? Do you feel like reading Warbreaker enhanced that scene or would you have preferred to go in? fresh no i absolutely think it enhances it yeah because you actually because otherwise it's just a oh he's got a really weird talky sword you know now imagine having read warbreaker like years ago and then picking that up and having this yeah this character come up like in a book written like years later you're like what yeah yeah because you probably were not that you weren't surprised, I'm sure, but you knew there was going to be some, there was some reason that I I was telling you you had to read this before we I read thought, this book. What were you expecting there? I actually thought it all had to do with uh, with um I can't think of his name right now. Zahel. Zahel. Um so I thought it all had to do with Zahel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, okay, well and, and I did think, oh, okay, well that's Interesting to know where this guy comes from, but it's not that big. Oh, so you assumed that he was here, that this was a, okay. I, that was sort of a backstory. I assumed that that the reason, yeah, that it was all backstory for Zahel. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that Night, night um, Nightblood was going to show up. would end up showing up, yeah. That's cool. Brian McClure also says best quotes of this section, and we've talked about a couple That's of it. them. That's it. <laughs> That's your favorite. It's my favorite one. 
Um, Gordon Ross says, favorite, least favorite, most slappable main character, side character, scene, storyline, and location so far. Oh, That's goodness. A, what's your favorite stuff and your least favorite stuff? Well, I, I Nightblood is definitely up there. Yeah. The Lopin and the King is definitely up there. Mm-hmm. And Adolin killing Sadius up way up there. Not even so much because I was like, yay, Sadius is mm-hmm. dead, but because of the complexity that yeah. it adds to the story. And frankly, Aelin, not really my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Still probably not gonna be my favorite character, but at least he gets he gets a little bit of a smudge on his dark Ken Barbie doll exterior. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's, that's definitely gonna be uh, pretty interesting so far. Slappable main character. I mean, it's hard not to want to punch Kaladin in a stupid nose. Sometimes. You know, I, I mean, for the reason that we discussed, there's not a whole lot between Moash and Kaladin. Right. You know? And what stands between them is that decision at the end. And I don't want to minimize that. Like, that decision means a lot. Right. It means a hell of a lot. But he, you know, he can really be a difficult character to read sometimes. Yes. I mean, I think, again, it's the way that his every thought is kind of described and laid out rather than shown. Yeah. You know? Um, I was a little underwhelmed by Shallan's sort of truth, I think because we kind of predicted it. However... I did enjoy that it sort of gave me more of a another sort of puzzle piece of why is why would her mother want to go to that extreme to would she be willing to go to that extreme to get rid of a night's radiant to kill mm-hmm. her own daughter mm-hmm. and apparently she was so like mm-hmm she was really wrapped up in some in some stuff. And so yeah. anytime we can get a little bit more evidence about all these secret societies that are pulling the strings uh, in the background, mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. So it was a not my favorite thing. I felt like it was slightly anticlimactic, but I also but it did also give me something to chew on. So mm-hmm. So that was a little bit more of a of a I guess a trade off I was willing to accept. Brian McClure says in his original draft, Brandon Sanderson had Kalanen sever Seth's spine with Sill, killing him. At the last minute before publication, Sanderson had the scene changed, having Kaladin only sever Seth's hand. Which version did you prefer? I mean, definitely the version that. Got on the yeah, page. I mean, yeah. I really like Seth choosing to sever his blonde with the honor blade and falling to his death kind of by choice, you know? Um, yeah, I think that makes more sense. Otherwise, you know, it's a, it's a, when he, because I'm assuming he was always going to wake up with Nalan, but then, right. then it becomes more of a, uh, you know, Gandalf the white, Gandalf the gray scenario than, yeah. than what this was. All right, Brian McClure um, also says, Kaladin at the end of Words of Radiance versus Kvothe from the end of Wise Man's Fear. Who wins? Well, if we're in um, Tamaran, uh, then Kvothe. And if we're in 
uh, Roshar than than Kaladin. Mm-hmm. I think the worlds are so dramatically different. Assume they both have their full powers. Well, then fucking Kaladin. Yeah. Every, every day. Yeah. I mean, it depends. Like, if you're talking about who's a more likable, better written character versus. Yeah. Yeah. Who would, who would beat the other one up? Kaladin would beat the snot out of Quoth. Over sure. and over and over again. <laughs> Yeah, he'd I mean, feel very mopey about it, but he would beat the <laughs> snot out of him. <laughs> like this wasn't a challenge at all. <laughs> I mean, the the levels of magic in the two worlds are so dramatically mm-hmm. different. Yeah, that you you can't compare them. I yeah. mean, I think the Lopen would kick Quote's ass absolutely with his little nubbin. Yeah, like, I'm gonna n- nubbin him to death. <laughs> Should really stop talking about that. It's <laughs> not coming out well. Uh, uh, okay, Brian McClure says, how do you see Seth and Nightblood working together? And he, I have a prediction, so I'm going to okay. I'm gonna save that. How about what do you think is more powerful, a shard blade or Nightblood? I have a prediction about that, so I'm going to... All right. How about how will Sadius' death change things? Sadius ain't dead. <laughs> this is just a blip on the radar screen, Ian. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to get two-thirds of the way through Oathbringer... He's going to pop out somewhere. Uh, no, but um but seriously, I'm not, I'm I'm a little perplexed. I'm not 100% sure. I'm kind of wondering if what Brandon Sanderson is sort of trying to say with this is that we're sort of we're sort of done with, you know, our junior level Darth Vader villain, mm-hmm. and now it's time to deal with the Emperor. Mm-hmm. Now it's time to deal with the real serious issue at hand mm-hmm. and put this petty, you know, political crap aside. Mm-hmm. I suspect it's not going to be as clean cut as all of that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are going to be, there's going to be fallout from it. I definitely think people are going to want to know who is running around and stabbing high princes in the eye. Mm-hmm. So I suspect that that you know it's not something despite them you know finding themselves in this near utopic environment uh i don't think they're gonna just let that go well and there's iali to contend with yeah well and all of his other you know bannermen Mm -hmm. although i think a lot of folks would be hard pressed to try to stand against dalinar right given what all this has done well, Amaram is one of Sadius's bannermen. That's true. Yeah. Brian McClure. And we know he's a sneaky bastard, so. Yes, he is. Um, Brian McClure also says, do you want to take another stab at guessing the author of the first letter? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I don't have, I. T- no clue. That's cool. No clue. No clue. Um, did the end, uh, Jamie Aline says, did the end of Words of Radiance make you more or less likely to move on to Oathbringer right away? And what predictions will you have for book three? Uh, well, I think it's a good ending in that it does make me want to read Oathbringer. It's not like my right. favorite ending of any book right. ever. But, but you're on the hook. But I'm on the hook, you know, and it does create some more interesting depth to the characters. I think Brandon Sanderson characters just take a while to grow on you. Mm-hmm. Because they kind of come across as very archetypical. Right. In the beginning. Right. 
you know, and they seem a little flat, mm, you know, the ones that are kind of like cool from the beginning or like the Lopin and mm-hmm. um, who, who is it? Nim? Who's the girl from Edge Dancer? Lift. Lift. Yeah. And that's cool, but they're also still not super complex right. either, you know? So I think the characters tend to grow on you. So no, I, I definitely think it, it does. I still think that Brandon Sanderson could benefit from an editor, but is there any fantasy author who we couldn't say that about? I mean, and one thing I will credit Brandon Sanderson for, there's a lot to credit him for, but one thing I'll credit him for is his books are long as hell, Mm -hmm. but they're long as hell in large part because the world is so freaking foreign Mm -hmm. that you need a crap ton of world building and exposition to bring it, to make it real. Right. I guess my question is, is he going to be able to pay all of that off Mm -hmm. in some satisfactory way? And until I get to the end of book five, I I won't know. 10. Well, I think he's going to break it up into like two um, five book. Yeah. So at that point, I feel like he's going to end a big chunk, you know, that'll, mm-hmm. that'll have kind of its own ending. And then yeah. the other, um, I guess it's a, what's a, it's not a trilogy. It's not a quadrilogy. Quintilogy. Quint, uh, yeah. Whatever, whatever that is. Um, you know, predictions for book three. We'll get into that. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that. Yep. Eric Allgaier says, Roshar is a small world, isn't it? Yeah, uh, we have Kaladin Slaver Tvlakov assisting Shalon. We have Roshon, you know, um, altering Cal and Moash's lives before they met. Cal might have killed Shalon's brother. He says, how about giving us a prediction or two about cross threads that might happen in Oathbringer? Something like Yasna and Tef dated in college. <laughs> Dalinar once got drunk at a football game and bounced a half-empty beer can off Teravangian's head. <laughs> well, I think we're going to find out in book three that Dalinar plays the ukulele, but he doesn't want anyone to know. (laughs) I think we're also going to find out that despite his grumpy, you know, and crusty exterior, Teft is actually forming his own bridge for improv group (laughs) in the background. That's why he can never say no to Kaladin, because he can only say yes and. (laughs) So John Appa says, were you surprised that Yasna appeared at all? Where did she get her shard blade, or has she had it all along? And if Wit is not worried by it, who else is immune to shard blades? How did Wit know where Yasna would appear, and how much of Wit is just an image he's trying to uphold? Does Tanavas equal honor? And if so, have we heard the other names for cultivation and odium? Who? That's a lot of question. It's a lot of question. So I think we know about the the shard blade because it's the it's ivory, the spren that she's that she's had and bonded with. Right. I th- it, it it was interesting that um, wit is immune to shard blades, but at the same point in time, we know that. Kaladin's damn near immune to shard blades. It seems like unless it actually severs your spine, Mm -hmm. you can heal yourself from Mm -hmm. it. Um, You know, whether or not 
you know, I I suspect that Wit was more trying to go down the road of being like, oh, come on, we both know you're not going to stab me. Right. Like, rather than, than talk about anything else. I'll, it also wouldn't at all s- surprise me if he is impervious to shard blades. As for how he knows where Yasna will appear, I suspect that Hoyd is often in the cognitive realm or somehow in touch with the cognitive realm. Mm-hmm. So he's sort of seeing whether he can actually see both at the same time or or however that works, but he could kind of see where she was and that's how he kind of knew where she was going to be. That's my speculation yeah. there. I do think, uh, you know, so Tanabas equals honor. I'm sure that there are other names for cultivation in Odium, but I couldn't begin to take a stab at what they are. Brian McClure also says, who do you think will get the flashbacks in the next book? Well, I think that it's going to be Dalinar. I always thought it was going to be one of the Colons, mm-hmm. but when he becomes a bondsmith and the title of the next book is Oathbringer, mm-hmm. and we end with him having sort of this vision, this flashback, a dream of his childhood, right, right before the, I mean, in the very last chapter yeah. of the book, it would lead me to believe that he's the most likely candidate. I could also see Yasna, who again, on the cover, I could certainly see that making sense. <laughs> Damn um, that cover. And I could see Adolin making sense too. Mm-hmm. Though I'm though I'm beginning to suspect that less and less uh is less and less likely to be yeah. the reality. And then Brian also says, what are uh, Nalan's plans for Seth? And again, save it for predictions. Is it time yet? No. Uh. Because we have to do something, we'll do it as quickly as we can, something we have been meaning to do for weeks and have not done. We've fallen asleep at the wheel, Duchess. What? And we have not read any of the reviews that people have been leaving us on iTunes. Oh, snap. We got to do that. So I'm going to go back to, I might I might end up reading one or two of these twice, but I'm going to go back far enough that we can catch them all. So I'll do this as quickly as I can. So five stars from uh, Strasturg. I hope I'm saying that. Uh, correctly, who uh, says, this is entertaining to listen to as they deep dive uh, about the chapters of the book. It's fun to see where my thoughts are the same and where they differ. I also catch some things that I missed. I just started with the first book and so far, great choice. Zach Tertel says, uh, great podcast, five stars. I like the great chemistry between the host. The recap is thoughtful and even the little bits of pre and post book discussion engaging. Bummed I didn't find this two years ago to participate live, but grateful for the good work. Awesome. Zisix42 says, 
Most book podcasts that I've heard, granted I've not heard many, were more like a book review podcast. This one is anything but. I love the depth uh, that they dive into, the Easter eggs and the connections I'd missed. I listen to audiobooks while driving and can't do a word search to find connections. You helped me do that. A friend invited me to your Facebook group page last month, and since I'd already read all the books you covered, I've been binging and enjoying the hell out of it. Is there a way to donate? Well. For now. No. However, if you want to support the podcast, you... You can go on trepublic.com and search the Duke and Duchess, the Duke and Duchess podcast. You can also probably find one of the links that I've shared with our merchandise shop. We do get a, um, a small percentage of those sales do come to the podcast and we use whatever we earn and goes right back into the podcast. The other nice thing about it and the reason why we like it is because when you buy your cool t-shirt, you're also helping promote the podcast for us. Absolutely. So double win. Ambishdurndd says thoughtful and witty. Five stars. Great conversation about some of the best fantasy books out there with two insightful people. If you're looking for a relaxed, humorous, intelligent, and deep dive into Rothfuss or Sanderson novels, this podcast is for you. Thank you very much. Uh, Quote Koo says five stars. Thank you. And says thank you for your show. Well, thank you for your review. Woohoo! Five stars says Square Root of Apps. It's so nice to find a funny, informative, and entertaining podcast with lots of episodes. I started listening to the other people's thoughts on Name of the Wind, but I just kept listening. Awesome. You're one of us now. It's addicting like crack. Five stars. (laughs) I'm not sure if that's really how we want to position the podcast. Yes, we do. Okay, all right, we'll go. Absolutely. Uh, By. Alucard D, Alucard T, the the Duke and Duchess are an incredible couple who does one of the most engaging, insightful, and funniest book club podcasts, some of my favorite geeky fantasy novels, King Killer Chronicles, and the Stormlight Archives. They complement each other so well, but the Duchess in particular is one of the smartest and loveliest girl geeks you'll find on podcast. I've been binge listening to all of their podcasts from episode 1 to 95 over the last couple of months, and I just can't stop. Now that I'm all caught up, I'm almost sad that I can't listen to them on a daily basis now. They are truly addicting. Five stars. Thank you so much. That's awesome. And last one we have, so lovely, sweet, and insightful. Five stars by The Large Man. You'll come for the content and stay for the charm. These two are so kind and witty and wickedly smart that you'll be hooked whether or not you're reading the book. Highly recommend. Download and tell your friends. Yes. Yes. So we intend to read these as they come in, but we've just been sidetracked. But we didn't want to neglect to tell you how grateful and thankful we are for all of that. So thank you so much. We... um, we really, really do appreciate the feedback that we get. So now, now it is time for predictions. Oh, finally. So my first prediction is, not only is Sadius not dead, but he's going to return as a Knight's Radiant. Okay. Dalinar is the flashback character in the next book. Okay. I already said that. 
I think Dalinar is going to be put in a position where he has to judge and or condemn Adolin for killing Sadius. I don't know if he'll actually condemn his son to death. Mm -hmm. I would not go that far, but I do think he's going to be in a position where he's going to have to uh, confront him about it. Yeah. I think the way that the cosmonauts hop from world to world is through the cognitive realm. Okay. I think the good guys will always find themselves with just barely enough stormlight to do what they need to get done. <laughs> good one. I think the skybreakers are going to betray all the other radiants. Mm-hmm. And I think that Nightblood in this world, this is not uh, this is not a spoiler for anything uh, related to uh, Warbreaker. I think Nightblood in this realm is going to suck stormlight away from people okay i like it those are my predictions excellent now we're gonna have to wait well next episode again is going to be saga 2 then we have our 100th episode our balticon recording then we get into edge dancer Yes, we do. Then then right into Oathbringer. So as a reminder, that's where we are. So you understand kind of what's coming next. Uh, we get a, a little bit of a reprieve, and then we're right back into the Sanderson deep end. You can do it, baby. I'm going to power through. I believe through. in you. I'm going to power through, baby. Where can they find us? I was going to ask you that. <laughs> Beat me to it. They can find us at the Duke and Duchess podcast.com. They can find us on Facebook at our Facebook group page. Just search for the DND group or the Duke and Duchess podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at the DND podcast and on all the other social media at the Duke and Duchess podcast. That is Instagram, Reddit, and Goodreads. We have accounts on all of those. Uh, we're not on TikTok or Twitch or any of those. Not on Bumble or... TikTok. Or, You're just saying words now. It's, <laughs> We're not on Flip Flop. <laughs> <laughs> We're not on Peach or Rutabaga. <laughs> Starting to get a little silly up in here. <laughs> I, I'm done. I don't, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what to say from this point. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs> hey, guys. I'm Zach. And I'm B. And we are Radio Camp Half-Blood. We're a weekly Percy Jackson read-along podcast. I've read the books. And I have not. Well, I'm getting there. Yeah, and we talk about mythology and Percy Jackson. And I often get stuff wrong. <laughs> but we tell terrible jokes. And sometimes good jokes. We also make friends along the way. This sounds like a 90s Disney movie. Like Halloween Town, which I reference in every episode for no discernible reason. <laughs> And I talk about my gay horse fan fictions. Even though you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Zach. I'm B. And we're Radio Camp Half-Blood. And keep staying mortal. Keep staying mortal. Bye. Bye. <laughs>